Welcome to the State of the Outdoors podcast, where we try to tell you straight what's going on at the national and state level uh, in regards to hunting, fishing, trapping, boating, public lands, and our wild heritage. And tonight we have a special show. Um, We are going to stick with the format a bit. Um, We normally podcast after there's a meeting or some uh, major muscle movement or some major piece of, of legislation has moved at the federal or state level. But ladies and gentlemen, we need your help now uh, before a piece of legislation moves uh, at the state level. And uh, joining me tonight are uh, two of my friends uh, in the public lands conservation movement who have become brothers. Uh, I have uh, Stephen Flagg, who is the chairman of Kentucky Chapter Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And I have uh, Josh Rodimer, who is or who was our very first fifth district um director for kentucky backcountry hunters and anglers uh good evening guys what's up doing great thanks for having us on thanks for having us so uh stefan i had you on oh gosh almost a year and a half ago um but if you'd like to to tell uh the listeners a little bit about yourself and and how you got to the position of you know being the chairman of Kentucky BHA, just so they know uh, who the guests are tonight, that would be great. Okay. Um, my name is Stephen Flagg. I'm uh, originally from uh, Phelps, which is a small town in Pike County, Kentucky. And uh, but there's primarily, you know, all timber and coal companies that own the land. So uh, not a lot of chances to get out and just go exploring without being uh, a trespasser. Uh, but when I went to college at Moorhead, um, out there in the heart of the Daniel Boone National Forest, I fell in love with the public lands, and that wasn't until, oh, um, probably when I was close to 30, I started hunting, and that's when I really started to appreciate and spend longer amounts of time in the forest and the Pioneer Weapons area, and uh, after a uh, trip to go hunt elk in Colorado, um, just that great opportunity just to go somewhere that you've never been before, set up a camp and go hunting and have a chance to hunt elk, you know, was amazing. And I, on the ride back, um, I was thinking about it and came back determined to help start a BHA chapter in Kentucky because, um, the opportunity to go and explore all these wild public places that you own is something that is, a uh, always under threat, never promised for the future, and uh, something I was really passionate about and uh, remain to be. And uh, worked in the initial group to get BHA started in Kentucky, working with the uh, national uh, group out in Missoula. And uh, after we became a recognized official chapter, uh, we had our first meeting and uh, was... uh, Honored to be nominated and uh, voted in as uh, the board chair, and have been very fortunate to have uh, 
great people on my team like Mike and Josh and the entire cast of characters that uh, help make this thing go. I'm just the uh, lucky one that gets to work with them. Well, I appreciate that, man. I, I can tell you, um, I pretty much knew you were the right guy to chair this this outfit for the for the first maiden voyage of uh, BHA in Kentucky. And you know, we've only been a chapter for a little over three years, and we're pushing 500 members already, paying dues members, not just people that follow us, uh, people that pay dues and, and read everything we put out and participate. But man, I saw you give two um, one impromptu. Uh, lesson on public lands and you gave that to a very high-ranking member uh of of our state government who just didn't know who he was talking to at a at a state archery tournament and he started talking about divestiture of public lands and you very articulately handed him his ass and i remember thinking boy i'm glad stefan's the chair of this outfit and the second time was when you gave the opening speech at uh our first ever Peabody WMA cleanup. Um, so yeah, man, uh, part of leadership is followership and yeah, I'm an army colonel and everything, but I am, have been very happy to follow you. Uh, brother, brother Rodimer, that was not an easy act to follow, but you're up. <laughs> I appreciate it, Mike. Um, yeah, so my name's Josh. Uh, I was on the, on the BHA board uh, for a couple years. I represent the fifth district up here in Northern Kentucky uh, actually, similar to Stefan, I didn't start hunting until I was an adult, but we grew up um, on the banks of the Ohio River in northern Kentucky. So I grew up doing a lot of fishing, kind of running around along the, the river bottoms there and the Ohio River Valley. Uh, but once I started hunting, um, I, I realized very quickly that habitat and access to um, public places to hunt was, was extremely important and started following along with BHA and, uh, ran into to Mike and Stefan, I believe at, uh, a, a CWD meeting that Fish and Wildlife put on down at the Salado a few years ago. And That's then right. went to one, went to one of their pint nights down in Moorhead, which I believe is Stefan's stomping grounds. And, uh, I think they figured since I was going to drive that far, they wanted to to see more of me, and it turned into turned into a really amazing opportunity just to meet a bunch of people that um, have an infectious uh, desire to just you know keep pushing down this track of public lands, preserving it, and protecting these resources. That you know, if we don't really stay on top of it, um, there's always somebody looking to to get a hold of it uh, for for whatever reason. So. Um, I've continued to kind of stay along with that, and I think that's why why I'm here. I'm fairly passionate about the topic, and uh, maybe to a fault sometimes. So glad to be here. Yeah, um, I remember you uh, showing up at that Moorhead event, and I think you talked to three different people on our initial board of directors, and and by the end of the night, we were all like we need that Rodimer guy. <laughs> that guy needs to be on our board of directors. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an organic fit. And, um, it's, it's funny because for people that don't know about backcountry hunters and anglers, right. It, it, we are a grassroots organization with our headquarters in Missoula, Montana, and we have a chapter in almost every state at this point in the country, but we, we're an, an North American, um, you know, wildlife conservation charity, but we come out with the wildlife conservation 
angle from a completely different um, point of view. Our point of view is public lands, public waters, access for everyone because we own it. And our headquarters works to make sure the chapters are successful. It's not the top-down wildlife conservation that most folks are used to, you know, with the good work that's being done by, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or the Deer Alliance at this point, which we used to know as Quality Deer Management Association. Um, it's not the top-down piece. It's bottom. It's completely bottom-up. Um, so we're really proud to be doing the good work uh, for public lands, public waters, and access uh, here in Kentucky, and we're blessed to have a very strong, very intelligent, very young board of directors. And so tonight, um, I wouldn't say it was like an emergency podcast, but we are starting to uh, feel our place in the state because one of the things that Backcountry Hunters and Anglers does better than just about anybody in the wildlife conservation public lands space is work on policy. Uh, And every state chapter does this and we just saw how um, there were tens of thousands of letters written and an immense amount of support in Colorado to defeat um, what would have amounted to uh, the limiting or outright banning of cougar or mountain lion hunting in Colorado and BHA out there really set an example for us and then this happened and so what is this? So, folks, um, we have a bill in the House of Representatives, specifically House Bill 395, sponsored by a few folks, but its prime sponsor is uh, Representative C. Ed Massey uh, from the 66th District. Uh, He's a Republican, and his district is only part of Boone County, so it's a metro Cincinnati area. And that is in uh, our guest tonight, Josh Rodimer's territory. So he sponsored this bill, and it's lengthy, and we went over it uh, at length in multiple forums. Um, but the summary is this. It would fundamentally change the way the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources and the Fish and Wildlife Commission operates and who sits on the Fish and Wildlife Commission. In fact, it's going to change the name of the wildlife district's to just commission districts. Under this bill, the Department of Fish and Wildlife becomes an autonomous agency within state government that answers to no branch, executive legislation, or judicial directly. That precedent reduces the power of all three branches of state government simultaneously. Uh, This bill reduces the already limited input of sportsmen and women into the management of their resources. And this bill would establish Kentucky as the first state or province to depart from the internationally accepted North American model of wildlife management, which states science is the basis for proper wildlife management and policy. And the departure that it would make is that it would put four of our nine fish and wildlife commissioners under the influence of the Secretary of Agriculture. And it does that by, right now the governor appoints all nine fish and wildlife commissioners from the nine districts that represent the 120 counties in the Commonwealth. It would take four of those nine districts and give them to the Department of Agriculture. The Department of Agriculture, as we all know, is quite often at odds with the scientific management of our wildlife, uh, both game and non-game species. So that's what we're here to talk about tonight. Um, The very first thing uh, that we really need to say or we really need to do is make sure that everybody that's on the line understands 
that it is not just Kentucky backcountry hunters and anglers um, that are trying to raise awareness about this. Yes. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Hey, just before you go on, and I think I know where you're going with this, but if you don't mind, uh, let me just let me just quote you the beginning of the response that I got from uh, Rep. Massey uh, when I sent in my email opposing the bill. Please um, do. Go for it. This court, well, after he thanked me for the email, the first part of the second sentence says, this matter has been vetted among sportsmen and sportswomen, wildlife officials, legislators, former commissioners, and current commission members. And I think I'll let you let you pick up where you're going next. <laughs> so thanks for the assist, man. That was awesome. So so we, we at Kentucky Backcountry Hunters and Anglers are fairly new on the scene, ladies and gentlemen. We're in our fourth year, so we had our third birthday, and we did an action alert. It's something that all of the mature states and backcountry hunters and anglers use all the time to alert sportsmen and women in their state or province that there's a really good bill coming in or out of their uh, uh, House of Representatives or Senate so something to support or something to oppose. And in this case, I'm sorry, it's something to oppose. And at this point, we have pushed uh, well over a 1,000 letters to individual representatives, and each letter was courtesy copied to the prime sponsor, Representative C. Ed Massey, 66th Boone County. And just this week, he got back to everybody with a form letter. And Josh, can you do me a favor and read the start of that form letter one more time? Yeah, yeah. Um, the second sentence here says, been vetted among sportsmen and sportswomen, wildlife officials, legislators, former commissioners, and current commission members, end quote. Mm. Well, you know, here's the interesting thing. We are well-connected in a... Um, you know, a cooperative effort to make things better in the state of Kentucky with a bunch of other wildlife conservation groups. And we're blessed to be into that network. And um, the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, um, which is the, you know, umbrella group for, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of conservation groups and, and rod and gun clubs and, and other outfits, started making a a list of every club. Now, this is not every individual human, but this is every club. So these clubs, got, these clubs got together and voted against House Bill 395. So when Representative Massey, so the you know I'm not so egotistical to think he'll listen to this, but Massey, but Representative Sir, if you're listening, I don't know who you vetted this through, but here's the list of people that are against it: Commonwealth Chapter Quail Forever, Cedar Creek Sportsmen's Club, Tri County Quail Club. United Bow Hunters of Kentucky, Women's Archery and Shooting Program, Appalachian Outdoorsmen Association, Menifee County Fish and Game Club, Mercer County Fish and Game Club, Long Run Sportsman's Club, Pulaski County Bow Hunters, LBL Sportsman's Club, National Deer Association of Derby City, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, First District Federation, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Second District Federation, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Third District Federation, League of Kentucky Sportsmen, 4th District Federation, 5th District Federation, 6th District Federation, 7th District Federation, 8th District Federation, 9th District Federation, unanimous out of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, Double Eagle Chapter National Wild Turkey Foundation, Meade County Sportsman's Club, 
Safari Club International, Kentuckiana Chapter, Kentucky Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and just today, the national headquarters of the Sportsman's Alliance. So I'm not sure who's for this, and I'm not sure who vetted it through. But let me also say that former commissioner of the Department of Fish and Wildlife today, Greg Johnson, actually not today, a couple days ago, uh, former commissioner Greg Johnson posted on his personal social media, this bill must be stopped. So I'm not sure who he vetted it through, but that's an awful big list of people that don't want this bill to come out of committee. And so where is it now before I throw the mic over to our chairman uh, to get his thoughts? It, it is still in the committee on committees. So for people that don't understand how bills become law or forgot, um, forgot how that works, because their high school civics was 35 years ago like me, bottom line is once a bill gets approved um, by the caucus and gets you know made from a bill request into a bill, it then is referred to the Committee on Committees. And what the Committee on Committees does in both the House or the Senate is they decide which committee it should go to. You know, should it go to the Transportation Committee? Should it go to the Natural Resources Committee? So this bill is still sitting in the very first step. And we have come out against it that fast, and we are trying to get it to die right there. And some very prominent sportsmen have asked Senator, or excuse me, Representative Massey to sit down and start over. Re if he really is sincere about fixing things that are wrong at the department, to start over. So that's where we're at. And, uh, Stefan, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, brother. Oh, um, where to begin? I, I guess always the first one that I want to bring up is the one that just is uh, the glaringly obvious one, which is the move of permanently moving four districts into uh, the control of the Secretary of Agriculture for appointment. Um, one of the things that was uh, stated that whenever they proposed this bill was that they were trying to take politics out of this appointment. Um, I don't understand how having a another person who is elected nominate someone who's going to be approved or not approved by senators makes it less political. You've actually just added another department in there. <laughs> but also the number one thing that the Department of Agriculture does, they regulate, they also promote Kentucky agriculture, Kentucky Proud, try to get it uh, exported, make more money. But they also support farmers in what they're doing. They're trying to make more money, get more yield off of their land. Well, what negatively impacts that yield in the instance of corn soybeans, the two biggest crops grown in Kentucky, are deer. So in the eyes of many farmers, they're impacting their bottom line. So that's not a pro for them to have a growing or stable large deer herd. No, absolutely not. And your point's very well taken. And the Department of Agriculture, you know, justifiably so, is influenced very much by Kentucky Farm Bureau. 
And, you know, we were able through the president of the League of Kentucky Sportsmen to obtain, um, you know, the policy statements that were coming out of Kentucky Farm Bureau. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not exaggerating. Um, uh, We're more than happy to share this with you if you reach out and email us and, and, and I'll give you those email addresses at the end of this podcast. But Kentucky Farm Bureau actually lists deer, elk, turkey, black bear, in the state of Kentucky as pests. And they even went so far as to discuss how those pests need to be reduced. And when they got to the point of talking about reductions of wildlife, they actually included ducks and geese. Well, ducks and geese are managed federally. So it, it's blatantly obvious that, you know, the agriculture community um, is, you know, not necessarily against hunting, fishing, trapping in public lands, Oh, no, that's not the case. Most farmers are very dedicated to having a robust, healthy farm to hand down to the next generation. Absolutely. But some of the practices that are now being implemented, um, taking out of fence rows and having where you can bush hog all the way underneath uh, the barbed wire, you know, there's not even a tall piece of grass for a rabbit to hide behind. So it's some of the practices that have been implemented negatively impact uh, wildlife for the increase of yield. Absolutely. I, and, thought, I, thought one of, I thought one of the key points on the Kentucky Farm Bureau pamphlet or handout was the um, promoting of shooting white-tailed does in areas or with modern firearms in areas where it's not currently permitted. Basically saying that we should be shooting does in our zone four counties during modern rifle to further reduce our lowest population. Right. And, and let's, and let's just pull back the veil on that. Kentucky farm bureau is an insurance company. Um, but they represent, you know, more than just people that have an auto policy, but Oh, by the way, you know, their number one payout every year is, is deer vehicle collisions. So what we're trying to say here is you can line up, point after point um, and it is illogical and reckless uh, to put agriculture into the management of wildlife and when we say that we normally think of right we normally think of like game species wildlife but let me explain something to you a CRP field or a field of wildflowers I I, uh, burned out and plowed under 20 acres of soybean on my farms to put in native warm season grasses and wildflowers and the songbirds and the quail and the rabbits and the nesting hen turkeys went through the roof over the last three years. So folks, it doesn't matter if you're a hunter or fisher um, and you're part of the hook and bullet side of this, you know, the more we farm, it really honestly, and I hate to say this, but the, the corn and the soybeans is not good for soy. It's not good for butterflies. It's not good for songbirds. So, you know, there is really no interest um, in the Department of Agriculture uh, for game species or non-game species. In fact, the only connection that the Department of Agriculture currently has to the Department of Fish and Wildlife is the Department of Agriculture inspects the high fence deer farms. Um, Josh, I know you got a few things that are weighing on your I mind. I do. Yeah, so. I, and that's one of them. 
that is that is definitely one of them that I haven't heard talked about. You know, it's it's like we've forgotten that uh, fish and wildlife line staff are still probably recovering from all of the work this past season down in western Kentucky, sampling and testing for CWD. And right. as we know, one of the big um, contributing factors to the spread of CWD is captain servant operations. And as I recall, since I was actually sitting in the meeting where um, Representative Massey was not, where the representative from the, uh, I believe it's the Kentucky Alternate Livestock Association mm-hmm. uh, attorney and representative showed up to yep. discuss Kayla, fish and wildlife yep. regulations to secure these deer farms uh, more appropriately. I mean, we, this is, you know, we're talking about this bill. It's a crisis right now for us, but that doesn't minimize the CWD threat um, that we're facing in Western Kentucky right now that's coming up from Tennessee. And it's like we've forgotten all about that. Uh, and there's a there's a huge conflict there when we're talking about giving, um, you know, just under 50% of our, our voice essentially to the Department of Ag, uh, which could be heavily influenced by these associations that are worried about farming, right? They're not as worried about um, the wild populations. So that that's something that's just kind of stuck in my crawl um, when I read the read the regulation that I haven't heard a uh, too much discussion on, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there's other things this bill would do. It 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 would pull the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources out from under the Tourism Cabinet, but it wouldn't just do that. People have said that needs to be done for a long time, and to those people, I've always responded, "Well, it has to go somewhere. You can't just let the department exist." on an island as a free lance or free electron on its own. But, oh my God, Representative Massey thinks you can. He, there's two parts in this bill where it removes the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources from Kentucky Revised Statute Chapter 12. And then a second part of the bill, it says that the department can never be reorganized into Kentucky Revised Statute Chapter 12. So Chapter 12, ladies and gentlemen, is the statute that establishes the executive branch and the cabinets under the executive branch. So this would pull the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources completely out of being managed by any cabinet. And then it exempts them from five chapters of law in one paragraph. And in another paragraph, it exempts them from a sixth chapter of law, which is the Kentucky Model Procurement Code. So basically, it allows our Department of Fish and Wildlife to be a completely free entity with no oversight by any cabinet, it's not beholden to our financial laws under the model procurement code. It's not beholden to any oversight by the executive branch. And, and once it's pulled out of the executive, it's not managed by the legislative or judicial either. We're creating a Frankenstein here, a completely independent department. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please understand that even though this department is 120 counties wide and people think it's this massive agency, it's only 411 employees. It's not really capable of managing itself in the way that this bill is written. It just can't do it. And Well, well the thing is, you take all the financial oversight, we'll just look at that. If you just remove all the financial oversight from anyone else, and then also included in this bill, which hasn't been mentioned yet, 
is that they're going to move all of the record keeping from the past into the control of mm -hmm. the department to where they will have the opportunity to, you know, make those records available to you um, when you request them or not, or um, make them disappear or anything else. <laughs> not saying that there's nefarious things going on. Right. But in the future, someone could be there who made those types of actions to cover up something that they've done. But who would be investigating them? There's no oversight. Well, the, the department is already not subject to executive branch ethics. That That is something that just blows my mind. Even though they are under, um, they're currently under the executive branch and currently under Chapter 12. Now, this, this bill seeks to emancipate them from that. But right now, they're not subject to executive branch ethics as it is. So they are already quite autonomous. And, Stefan, your point's very well taken about the fact that this bill also transfers all of their records that are currently held by their higher headquarters at the cabinet back to the department. And why is that troubling, ladies and gentlemen? Because three times in the last year, your department has been found guilty by the attorney general in violating twice open records requests and once open meetings requests. So, or excuse me, I should say the open records law twice and the open meetings law once. So they're already not in compliance with all of the help that they get from the cabinet, with all of the oversight that they get. And now we're going to give them no oversight. Um, this just seems reckless to me. Josh, am I, am I crazy here? No, I mean, I know. I, I had uh, I put in an open records request for some information a while back that I couldn't find, and I think it took two emails before I even got a response. Um, so <laughs> it's not – it's something that's happening a lot. Now, that being said, I have gotten uh, more expeditious responses before from them when I've been looking for information. <clears throat> but it, it does set uh, a dangerous precedent. You know, I, uh, what's what's the quote? The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Right. Um, so th that doesn't really give me a warm and fuzzy feeling about uh, records being transferred um, over. And of course, there's. I guess w when you step this back, there's a lot of threats that this creates uh, to the effectiveness, the efficiency, and the transparency of fish and wildlife. And when I have to look at what does it solve, I, I don't really see what it's solving. Right. Um, when I look at my response from Massey, he said this bill would give the commission more independence and the ability to act swiftly to protect, protect Kentucky's resources. Well, that bill, this bill doesn't accomplish that. The only thing it does is meddle in how the commission is basically selected and their oversight. It doesn't change the fact that the commission still gets to choose um, or, you know, uh, propose regulation changes. It doesn't change how the commission <clears throat> guides the Department of Fish and Wildlife, the everyday activities that affect the resource or the sportsman. This is all to do with the commission, right? When we look at, when we look at what this actually does, I don't see how it benefits the sportsman at all. So and, yeah, you're... and there's no improvement 
for the resource that the department has set up to protect all the fish and wildlife in Kentucky. Right. And Absolutely. the management of our public lands. That's a great That's, point. None of that, none of that is being addressed. That's a great point. And, and if, if we wanted to talk about addressing something, we could address the fact that, you know, five names get sent to the governor and they can pick any one of those five names per district, but I don't see that in this bill at all. Right. So, well, it's it still also provides, it, it, sorry, didn't mean to talk over you, Josh. It also doesn't address the fact that even when someone is selected, there's no timetable for the Senate to give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down vote or to have their, their hearing. Right. It's open ended while we're sitting here waiting for a fully staffed commission to make the best decisions available yeah for the department so so you guys have just touched on the part that really honestly is is kind of the you know when you uh you know everybody's been out on a hunt in the winter time and you know you fall ass over tea kettle and you hit your wrist or you hit your you hit your elbow or you face plant in a creek or something and the next day you got <laughs> The next day you got a welt, right? You got that, that knot on your arm or your elbow and you touch it and it's like, damn, that hurts, right? So what you guys just touched was the part of this bill that goes, ah, damn, that hurts, right? So here, here's where I'm at with that. The, <laughs> the author of the bill, and again, Representative Massey, you're, you're probably not going to listen to this, but if you do, sir, let me ask you a question. Why did you pick the second district, the third district, the eighth district and the ninth district commissioners. I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some supposition out there. Okay, right now we have two district commissioners, and ladies and gentlemen, this bill would change that from wildlife districts to just district commissioners. So it's even taken the name wildlife out of the district. So just remember that. The second is Mr. Fisher. And Mr. Fisher's term ends August 13th this year. The third, Mr. Swallows. His term ends August 13th this year. The eighth is Mr. Morgan. His term ends August 13th this year. Governor Bashir has already appointed Jerry Farrell to the sixth, which we're all super excited about. The sixth set without a commissioner since subterfuge and intrigue and things that shouldn't get into our business helped to remove someone we all thought would be a great commissioner, Mr. Robbie Lear. So Mr. Robbie Lear somehow didn't get confirmed, even though the overwhelming number of sportsmen in the state of Kentucky, especially in the 6th District, were for his confirmation. So we sat without someone voting for the people in the 6th. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the 6th is the second biggest district in the state. It has Lexington sitting right smack dab in the middle of it. Finally, the governor appoints Jerry Farrell. Uh, Jerry is the first minority to ever sit on the commission, ever. Uh, he was a sergeant in the United States Army. He retired from Toyota. He drives a school bus in Madison County, and he works in the fishing department of Sportsman's Warehouse in Lexington. We've all talked to him. He's a damn fine commissioner, okay? But Governor Bashir appointed him, and he appointed him for a reason. Governor Bashir also appointed probably the most experienced sportsman and habitat manager we've had on the commission in a long time, Mr. Brian Mackey, to the 4th District. Brian has won awards for habitat management 
Um, he is a lifelong farmer, hunter, fisher, and trapper, and is a retired firefighter. So the governor appointed two. The governor gets to appoint three more in August if this bill doesn't go through. That's a simple majority. A simple majority is all that is required to change the entire face of the Department of Fish and Wildlife. So folks out there who think this is about improving the process, please show me in there where it talks about habitat management. Please show me in there where it talks about paying our conservation officers more money. Please show me where it it, it answers the pressing questions of the day. It doesn't. It changes the way we appoint commissioners and gives four seats, three of which come open this year and would allow a simple majority to be nominated by our current governor. And pundits and proponents on the other side continually say, well, we're trying to get politics out of this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me just call a big pink elephant in the room a big pink elephant in the room. The fourth district that it also gives to the Secretary of Agriculture is the ninth. Whose district is that? The chairman, Carl Kleiner. So it gives three districts that will come open in August to allow our current executive to nominate a majority over the last year, year and a half. And people keep saying, this is about the the uneducated, low-information sportsmen keep saying, this is about the governor coming after the money. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're saying that, you got your head in in a in a hollow in a in a old apple tree or something. I don't know what what you're missing. But I'm gonna take some liberties in our discussion right now and just ask a couple questions. So if if the people in the eighth district, all right, are okay with an agriculture secretary, and it's not always gonna be Ryan Corals, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody's like, well, Ryan Corals is a good guy. Yeah, Ryan Corals is a good guy. He's also the most educated politician we have. He's got three master's degrees and a juris doctorate. Ron Corr is a brilliant man. We're happy to, we're happy and fortunate to have him. But it's not always going to be Ron Corrals. And it's not always going to be Governor Andy Bashir. We are reducing the power of the executive branch by putting four Fish and Wildlife Commissioners into the Secretary of Agriculture's office. And it's not always going to be this, Governor. You're reducing the power of the executive branch in perpetuity by doing this. But let me just ask a question. The 8th District is Bath, Bourbon, Boyd. Carter, Elliott, Fleming, Greenup, Lewis, Mason, Menifee, Montgomery, Morgan, Nicholas, Rowan, and Wolf Counties. Are all the hunters, fishers, trappers, and boaters in those counties good with agriculture telling them what to do? I don't think so. The ninth, Bell, Clay, Clinton, Jackson, Knox, Laurel, McCreary, Pulaski, Russell, Wayne, and Whitley. Are y'all good with having agriculture tell y'all what to do? Okay. The thing is, is they're not so much telling them what to do. There are they going to be representing their interests as hunters and anglers and public landowners? And secondly, the vote that that person makes on the commission doesn't just impact that district; it impacts every one of us. Ah, oh, man, that's a great point, Stefan. And you're right; it, it's about the representation. I, I'm saying that wrong. So. It, let's go to the third. Is uh, uh, Mr. Swallow's district in the third? Is are the hunters, fishers, trappers, and and boaters in Breckenridge, Bullet, Jefferson, Meade, Oldham, Shelby, and Spencer? Are you guys and gals comfortable I'm trying to say this? How Stefan just said. Are you comfortable with having someone from agriculture represent you? I don't know. 
And let's ask the second district before we're done. Listen to all these counties that are just named in those four districts. This is the fourth. People in Allen, Butler, Davies, Hancock, Henderson, Hopkins, Logan, McLean, Muhlenberg, Ohio, Simpson, Todd, Union, Warren, and Webster. Are you comfortable with agriculture, the Secretary of Agriculture, nominating your representative versus the executive branch and it going through the normal process it's gone through forever to nominate fish and wildlife commissioners? That's a lot of counties, guys, that are good. I mean, I don't know if the sportsmen of those counties need to wake up and, and say something. Their opinions need to be heard. We definitely more, need more people to uh, drop emails in, um, use our take action button on the website, and to make those phone calls. And if, they, if you do get a response back, it's generally going to be a form letter like many of us received. Respond to that. Let them know that you're not just a robot and you're not just pushing a button, that you're actually engaged and that you don't want this bill to pass. So, yeah. oh, Stefan, can you can you tell folks out there how they could, could get to that action button? Okay. Um, on just the World Wide Web, it's backcountryhunters.org. Um, when you go on there, um, look for chapters. And they'll show you a map of the United States, click on Kentucky, and go to Our Issues. There'll be a list of uh, where you can um, support Mackey for his confirmation, as well as click a button. There's a form letter there that's already filled out. You put your inf name, information, address in, and it will direct it to your specific representative in the House of Representatives in Frankfurt. And copy Mr. Massey as well. Excellent. So you go to backcountryhunters.org, click chapters, click Kentucky, click issues, and from there you'll see two. We've only had two. Like I said, we're a young chapter. One is we want uh, the Senate to confirm Mr. Mackey, and uh, the second is we need to defeat uh, House Bill. Uh, 395. Now, the other way you could do that is search our Kentucky chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers on Facebook and look at one of our posts. One of our posts has a link to it. Um, there's it's a lot. In, there's ahead. a link for the uh, Take Action button in our bio on Instagram, which is Kentucky spelled all the way out. Kentucky, B-H-A, one word. And be sure to follow us there, too, because we'll keep you up to date on what's going on, not only in Frankfurt, uh, recipes, hunting adventures, um, and keeping you aware of all of our pint nights, work days, and anything else that's going on with the chapter. Absolutely. It, it, it'll let everybody know what we're up to in the state of Kentucky. Guys, there's a lot to unpack in this bill. Um, I, it's hard to I even... another one for you. Go for it, Josh. Yeah, so uh, another one of the things that stuck out to me in the bill... Um, they changed the language on who is eligible to uh, basically um, when, when you go to vote on your commissioners and your right. in your district. So, mm -hmm. if you looked previously, the the current the current law uh, in Kentucky, if you you can go out and look all this up on on the interwebs uh, and see what the current text is. Uh, but the current text and KRS 150 
Uh, if you scroll down to the very bottom of that, you'll read what is defined as a sportsman. And the current legis- legislation, the law, defines a sportsman uh, as a resident hunter or fisherman who has been licensed in Kentucky for each of the past two consecutive years. So if you contrast that with what's in this bill, and, and this is very interesting to me, it says at the meeting, this is uh, on page four, I believe, of the proposed bill, uh, line nine. At the meeting, the sportsman attendant shall select and submit to the governor or the commissioner. Uh, let me uh, scroll down. Hold on. Um, starting on line 11, I guess. They have held a hunting and fishing licenses in Kentucky or another state for at, at least the previous five consecutive years. And right. are well informed of the subject of wildlife conservation and, and restoration. It's, this is this is interesting. Um and that's referring to the the people that are able to be nominated. Uh, that's weird to me. Um, they've had to be. It makes a case that we could have commissioners that are coming in from out of state. <laughs> yep. Uh, it raises a red flag for me. I I don't think um, that's a particularly good practice to have. No, it's not a good practice, and and you've you've touched another another one of those welts, right? Another one of those boils that are very sensitive. So here's what this bill also does, ladies and gentlemen. Currently, once the governor appoints a commissioner, that commissioner starts representing the district. This is the way the system is designed. It's designed to represent us. It has nothing to do with the politics in Frankfurt. The people who designed House Bill 395, Representative Massey and his team, <laughs> are forgetting that we get representation. The, the, the sport, under the law, and I did a whole show on this, my last show was all about this. Okay, Me and Ben talked about how sportsmen and women are nominated by their fellow sportsmen and women in their district and then appointed by the governor. So the governor gets a list of the top five nominees in each district that we nominate. Okay? So it's not like the governor's just picking somebody out of thin air. We give them a list of five, us. Okay? But once that happens, okay, they sit on the commission as a voting member immediately after appointment to represent us so that we're represented. And this speaks to something Stefan said earlier. Once they're on the commission, they're one of nine votes on everything statewide. People seem to think it's, well, they just represent my district. No, 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 no. They're supposed to go back to their district and talk to all the sportsmen and women at all the clubs and any public meetings to bring that information from the district to the commission. For sure, they're supposed to represent the constituents in their district. But what they also do is vote on any issue statewide so that we have nine voting commissioners at every meeting so under current law they would get appointed and go to frankfurt and start doing the job that the people in their district need under this law until they're confirmed by the senate they cannot attend meetings and vote but the incumbent needs to still sit there so folks let's talk about how dangerous this is this bill would allow the current commission to serve forever in perpetuity. Literally, 
Literally, as long as the Senate didn't confirm their replacement, the incumbent could continue to sit there. Because it says, until the new commissioner is confirmed by the Senate, they may not attend and vote, and the incumbent stays in the position. So think about that. Our current nine commissioners, right? Our current, excuse me, our current six out of nine are currently confirmed. Those six could serve until the Senate confirms a, a worthy replacement. So we could continue to nominate, and this governor, the next governor, could continue to appoint. But under this bill, until the Senate confirms them, no appointee gets to represent their district. The incumbent still sits there. So it, it creates a de facto oligarchy um, in our what is going to be our Fish and Agriculture Commission? I, I don't even know what to call it anymore. I mean, guys, this is this is troubling level five. So, and, and they've created their own emergency here, right? Oh God, so yes. Let's let's not let's not mince words. Um, you know, there's you can see responses. I think to Ed Morris's letter out online. Uh, with what Massey said to him about um, Farrell. And the, the fact of the matter is if the Senate would have done their job, Farrell wouldn't have had to be appointed by the governor, although the governor still could have appointed him based on the, the law that he used to appoint him, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is still very possible. But you're talking, it's almost like defund and decry, if, if your listeners are for, familiar with that um, legislative or uh, government technique. Uh, it's it's along those same lines. It's lines. Well, um, it's the it's the same approach you're taking with uh, COs and public lands. Right. We're gonna we're gonna brag about how much money we're saving while we allow these resources and these people to go downhill or leave yeah. the department. Yeah. And then and then say, well, the department's doing such a bad job of doing this. We should just make X, Y, or Z changes. That's right. So we, you, you, you created your own failure. Mm -hmm. Then you're pointing at the failure and saying, that's why we need to change. Absolutely. That's a, that's a ex excellent points. Both, you know, if the, the W our wildlife management areas are currently quite a few of them are in, in exceptional levels of disrepair. Our brand new conservation officers, ladies and gentlemen, who have to go through the law enforcement academy at the University of Eastern Kentucky and then have to also go through a wildlife academy after that, come out of that academy and their base pay is $29,000 and change. Well, I'm here to tell you uh, Chick-fil-A fast food restaurant just advertised $19 an hour for full-time employees. That's 39000 so $10,000 more a year to sling chicken and waffle fries at Chick-fil-A than to wear body armor and walk, you know, in the long line of law enforcement. So we've got some serious, serious trouble here um, across the board. Uh, and and I don't think this bill addresses I, – I'm, I'm going to ask you guys individually. I don't think this bill specifically addresses any – current pressing issue and, and i'll ask josh first and, and let stefan follow no it, it this bill um I, I saw it put somewhere that it doesn't answer any problem right like this bill 
doesn't address anything besides the fear of a good old boy system being disrupted. Um, there's why, why have the bill, right? We talked about that earlier, stepping back to why is it even here? And there's no good reason besides the fact that we have a current commission whose majority feels like they need to be in a perpetual battle with the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, which is another discussion on uh, department waste, but it addresses nothing that the sportsmen and women need right now. It addresses nothing that the resource needs right now. Uh, this is this is all. I mean, I don't want to call it petty, but it's petty. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, one of the things that you're alluding to there is our chair of our commission, Dr. Kleinard kind of ramrodded um, the idea that we needed to sue the governor. You know, myself, Kentucky and Safari Club, and a couple other outfits came out and said, um, you know, when the governor's administration, it wasn't the governor himself, it was his administration, said, you know, we're only going to give then incumbent commissioner or head of the agency, Mr. Rich Storm, a one-year contract instead of a two you know, we came out and said, well, God, ladies and gentlemen, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, our, you know, we'd rather have Rich Storm as a commissioner than we would Frank Gemley, who was just a straight-up politician. And, you know, and although we're not very happy with Rich, but we at that time, in that place in time, you know, we said, take the one year. Well, you know, and then you can you can work through all the agencies of government to try to get another year or, or, or even use that year to advertise – what I actually said was, use that year, you know, let Mr. Storm have that, that, that one-year contract. Use that year to advertise this position nationally because this is a pinnacle position. For anybody that works in the Department of Fish and Wildlife or say they work in Colorado Parks and Wildlife or, or, or Montana Fish and Wildlife, there's only 50 of these jobs, right, in the country. And so if you're moving up through the ranks in any state, when you see the head of a Department of Fish and Wildlife come open in any other state, if you're fully qualified, you apply. So use that opportunity to hire us a superstar. Let's get back on track, man. You know, I mean, the last real commissioner, and I'm not, you know, Greg Johnson did, did a good job until some things went sideways. And some of that was out of his control. And, and Greg's been a great friend of the sportsman ever since. And, and, and God bless his heart. But you know, Doctor Gaza was probably the last real commissioner we had. So, so let's let's give Stefan a, a an, an opportunity to 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 weigh in. <laughs> Honestly, I don't really have a lot of uh, short points or anything really to make. Mine's more of it's there's nothing that benefits public lands of the floaters or our wildlife resources. There's nothing in here that addresses the shortcomings in paying the staff and being fully staffed. We have less than half of the county officers, commission officers on staff that we need, which means poaching is more easy, is easy, more easily to get a buy with. Mm -hmm. When you have an incident, they're covering multiple counties. They may not be able to come to the scene of an active poaching incident, yeah. for example. Yeah, so I mean, I'm with you, man. That, that, the yeah. air biologist, staff, our um, leasing apparatus, pay them what they deserve. 
and get some people out here fixing the toilets, working on the roads, mowing some of the hay fields. And as they know, the biologists and the people on the ground know across the state, we'll be there for work days. We'll volunteer sweat equity and be there smiling and drinking lemonade all day long. But well, I'm really we can't we can't do it all. Right. I'm really glad you brought that up, man. Um, you're, the, you know, all three of us are leaders in background centers and English here in Kentucky, Kentucky chapter BHA. And we've done, um, more work in the last three years on public lands and public waters than any other conservation group in Kentucky is done in the last 10 years. And I will, I will throw that out as a gauntlet to anybody that wants to challenge me on that. We have had more public lands and waters work days where we go out and hang wood duck boxes, mark boundaries, sink fish habitat, uh, backpack trout into remote locations in the gorge. I mean, you name it, we're out there doing it. And when we're out there doing it, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to the staff. And the staff's saying, man, we love our job. But God, we wish we could get some help out here. And thank God that Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is out here providing us 20 people today to help us get this project done. So, yeah, this 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 bill really doesn't address anything that any sportsman or woman that I've talked to in any club or group has said is a pressing priority. This is straight politics. So let me tell you where straight politics gets. Just so. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's just so amusing when you when you read the, uh, the responses from Massey that says it's about getting rid of politics. And you read the bill, and you wonder if he's even read the bill that he's sponsoring. Oh yeah, it's, it's just baffling. I you yeah. just have no words. Well, let me let me tell you this: we we've done some research, um, you know, here at folks. This podcast originates from the Slow Hunt LLC, right? I'm a, I'm a freelance author when I'm not busy working with all the other wonderful passions in my life, you know. And so I have my own LLC. I'm a freelance author, and this this podcast is part of what I do. And I have some folks that help me do research. Well, I've done some research, okay? And I can tell you that Massey is actually somebody who hunts and fishes, which disturbs me. But let me tell you what. Quite a few of the co-sponsors are not. Quite a few of the co-sponsors of this bill that are that are on the Sportsman's Caucus that claim to be sportsmen don't fit the legal definition. They haven't had a hunting and fishing license for two consecutive years. And they certainly wouldn't fit the definition under this new law, which is five consecutive years. So these people that claim to be co-sponsored this bill that claim to be sportsmen and women, I'm sorry, you're not. Right? And and if you've had a license for two consecutive years, I will apologize on air. I will I will make a Facebook post and I will say, I'm sorry. But my research says you're not. Right? You haven't held a license. So quit acting like you're these great venerated sportsmen and women and that you've talked to all these other great sportsmen and women who are behind this bill. So let's talk about something really, really ugly that this bill could do. This bill seeks to pull the Department of Fish and Wildlife out from under Kentucky Revised Statute Chapter 12. The authority that allowed the governor to appoint Jerry Farrell is under 12.070 paragraph 3. So if the department comes out from under chapter 12 and this bill has an emergency clause on it, which means 
if it is signed into law, or excuse me, if it is passed in the House and the Senate, we expect the governor to veto it. We have a supermajority that we expect to override the veto. As soon as the veto is overridden, this becomes law. That could happen before they call confirmation in the Senate for Mackey and Farrell. If the department comes out from under 12 series of law, then 12.070 paragraph 3, which was used to nominate Mr. Farrell, the first black man, to our Fish and Wildlife Commission, who is a legitimate sportsman, ladies and gentlemen, that we are very proud of. Okay, don't give, a, don't give two shits that he's a black man. He's a good man and a sportsman. He was nominated because of that, and I wish we could have got him in there using the normal process, but the governor put him in there using legal process under Chapter 12. If the department comes out from under Chapter 12 in an emergency clause, before the Senate confirms, Jerry Farrell's name just won't be on the list of confirmation. If you, if you pay attention like we do to how the legislature works, at the end of the session, which will be late March, they will have Senate confirmations. It'll just, they're just lists of names, and they do it by acclamation. They do it by, you know, just... It's, you know, not like by name. It's not like they say, okay, we're going to nominate or, excuse me, confirm Brian Mackey in the 4th District Fish and Wildlife Commission. Uh, is there any discussion? Is there any debate? No. There's just a list of names. And the senators just confirm or don't confirm. Well, generally speaking, they confirm everyone that's on the list because the, the way they make that work is anybody they don't want to confirm doesn't make the list. So this would allow us to lose... Great representation in the sixth. It just so happens to be the first minority ever, ever. So this is just this isn't just politics. It's ugly politics, and and I'm you know I'm not going to stand for it. I know you guys don't want to. Yeah, and, and I'll and I'll, I'll make a comment on this too, Mike. It, you know, we've we had some um, discussion when, when this happened around it, and um, I'm. I'm one for sticking with processes. So my initial reaction to the way that uh, Jerry had to be put in um, was to kind of recoil at it. However, he was vetted by the sportsmen and women in the Commonwealth. And I don't think that can, that can be questioned at this point. And, and there are two other individuals on, on this uh, podcast that can speak more to that uh, than I can. So if when our government fails to meet their obligations, right, as in confirming a um, representative in the 6th District, which is, by the way, a very populous district in the state. Probably a good number of our sportsmen live within the 6th District. It is important to have that representation there. And we're talking about an individual that has a lot of exposure to sportsmen and women by where he works and what his interests are. So, you know, I just want to throw that out there. As somebody who initially recoiled at it, this is a good thing, right? This isn't this isn't something to, to turn your nose up at when you actually look into who was put in, why they were put in, and and why that had to be. I, I couldn't agree more. I just I as you know, there are low information people out there who just wanna read something on Facebook and don't pay attention. You gotta drill down, folks, and you gotta do your research. And so if the, if the department comes out from under twelve, then the authority that appointed Jerry is gone. 
and the 6th district sat without representation, and to Josh's point, it's the second biggest district by population in the state, and they're going to sit without representation on the Fish and Wildlife Commission until we can somehow get an appointment. But again, under this bill, until that appointment's confirmed, there'll be nobody, because if Jerry doesn't sit there, if Jerry's not confirmed, the seat goes vacant. Under this bill... We couldn't get anybody in there until they were confirmed. Well, the sixth <laughs> would be nominated, you know, by the governor. And obviously, it seems obvious to me that the Senate's not going to confirm anybody the governor puts in there. So folks in the sixth, if this bill goes through, you're not going to have anybody represent you for I don't know how long. I mean, that's how ugly and political this bill is. So, you know, Representative Massey, sir, you know, quit quit with the smoke and mirrors you know we let, let's get down to the truth please can we talk about what we're really trying to do here we're trying to put five commissioners we're trying to keep a majority of fish and wildlife commissioners which they're not going to be fish and wildlife commissioners anymore because we're changing the name of the districts from wildlife districts to just commission districts we're, we're changing it up so that we have a, a uh a majority that will maintain the status quo and we're given authority to the Department of Agriculture. Stefan, really? The Department of Agriculture? Come on, man. It's killing me. Yeah, that's one of those things where uh, I think that all of that emotion channel it into a voicemail, an email, a call, call a neighbor, call your hunting buddy. You see a guy or a girl standing at the gas pumps with a camo on, walk up to him and go, hey, have you contacted your Representative tell them your house bill three ninety five, and they ask what's three ninety five. After listening to this podcast and doing a little bit more checking, you'll be well informed, and a well informed citizenry is the worst enemy of this uh, political morass that we find ourselves in. Yeah, and, and and ladies and gentlemen, don't don't make a you know. The point Stefan just made cannot be emphasized any further. You know, our founding fathers wanted a well-informed citizenry. They designed a government with checks and balances. They didn't design a government that is supposed to be ran in, in perpetuity by a supermajority. Um, and, and they also meant for the citizenry to be actively engaged. Absolutely. That's why under the bill... Democratic Rep republics or a participation contact sport. Absolutely. Yep, I say that all the time, man. <laughs> Democracy is a participation sport, and quite often it's a contact sport. Um, so uh, transitioning off of this, uh, I think we have um, done all we can do uh, to try to help educate folks. Um, you know, you can, you can become um, much more educated about this, Again, by going to Backcountry Hunters, all one word, backcountryhunters.org, and then click Chapters, click Kentucky, click Issues, and then it's it's one of our two top issues right there is to defeat House Bill 395. If you're a Facebooker, you can also go on Facebook and, and search Kentucky Chapter Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and it'll be one of the... One of the posts that's pinned to the top. Now, the, the it, we would be r remiss if we didn't also address a, a, at least one other issue uh, before I go into the normal segments that I, that I have on the podcast. 
So the, the next thing that we need to talk about is a letter sent by Representative Massey to 3rd District League of Kentucky Sportsman um, President uh, Ed Morris that called into question um, without using names um, some of what has been done here lately. And he used pronouns... Again, didn't use names, but basically said that we have a commissioner who um, sued the department, uh, which is not even close to being true. And the the inference um, that we all took um, from that was was really bad. That the finger that was being pointed was really bad. And here's the here's the bottom line, folks. A lot of us do open records requests because we want to know what's going on in our department. It's called democracy, right? And we talked about... For lack of transparency, you have to go digging for the answer. Thank you. For lack of transparency, we have to go digging, so we do a lot of open records requests. Well, there was an open records request uh, done within the last 12 months um, by um, who is now our 4th District Commissioner, uh, Mr. Brian Mackey, uh, asking for some records. He was denied those records, um, and in the denial of those records, a completely separate organization called the Kentucky Open Government Coalition found out that he was denied those records. They sued. Mr. Mackey, at that time, was not a commissioner. He was trying to become more educated on what's going on in the state and in the Department of Fish and Wildlife. He was asking for records. He knew he was going to throw his name. There's a lot lot of noise in the background right now, bro. Um, oh, I apologize. I refund my Kentucky brown water here. Okay. Ice. Ice is important. Yes. <laughs> Ice is important. So let's, let's, uh, let's, let's circle back to that. So there was an inference that um, someone who's a current commissioner sued, and, and that's not true at all. And I think the inference, and I can't be 100% sure because the letter didn't come to me, but let me tell you something. Brian Mackey did not sue the Department of Fish and Wildlife or the Fish and Wildlife Commission. The Kentucky Open Government Coalition sued when they found out that Mr. Mackey was denied those records. Now, Mr. Mackey was a regular old citizen at that point, but I, and I know for a fact because Brian and I are hunting buddies Brian was trying to become the most educated he could possibly be when he got the job in the 4th District. At that time, he didn't know he was going to get the job. He was just thinking of throwing his name in the hat at the nomination meeting. It just so happened that he was nominated. It just so happened that the governor picked him as a commissioner. Now, Brian Mackey's not only an award-winning habitat manager and hunter and fisher, he's also a firearms coach, right? This is a guy that we all know to be the kind of person we want. He's he's very much a Jerry Farrell. We need guys like this on the commission. And so for Mr. You know Massey to to imply such things, and and I wish I could get my hands on on that letter, but I, I'm going to come I, out. I think Mackey is just what, what we would call a, a salt of the earth kind of people, right? Um, he's just he is. Uh, Luckily, I've got the opportunity to meet him and, and talk to him. And um, the things that I read in, in that letter uh, back to Mr. Mr. Morris was um, 
it's just it, it couldn't be further from the truth. A guy's dedicated not only his life to serving his community, uh, but now in his retirement, he's continuing to serve uh, the, the people of the, the Commonwealth. That's an excellent point, Josh. From one firefighter to the other, you know, it's it's one of the toughest jobs on the planet. And you guys put your lives on the line every day. So, Mackie being a retired firefighter, you know, and and trying to educate himself, he gets denied some records. The Kentucky Open Government Coalition is always looking for these things because that's what they do: is they defend our right to question our government, which is under the First Amendment. We are allowed to petition our government. So the First Amendment, Bill of Rights. So anyway. Anybody that's saying Brian Mackey did that, you're wrong. Okay, the Kentucky Kentucky Open Government Coalition did that, and so I needed to put a very fine point on that tonight, or I would feel bad if I did not. And so that ends, um, kind of the portion of the podcast uh, where we're bringing current issues and current events to sportsmen um, and trying to keep everybody informed so that you can participate in the process. And so before we move on to the next segment, I'm going to pause and uh, I'll let Stefan go first this time. Is there anything else you wanted to address on the bill or, or the issues surrounding the bill before I move on to the other segments of the podcast? No, I think that we've uh, basically hit all the highlights or the lowlights, depending on how you look at it. And I uh, hope everybody who's listening does get engaged, get informed, and let's beat House Bill 395. Amen. Josh, what you got before we move on, brother? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think, um, I don't want people to think that we're just out here beating up on the commission, beating up on, um, you know, these representatives. I, I know the commission does a lot of good things, uh, but but speaking for me as a, as a citizen of the Commonwealth and the country who gets to make my own political choices um is not one of them and um you know reading some of these things from representative massey and the way he worded his email back to me makes me think that he takes the commission current commission members and previous commission members as being representative of the sportsmen uh and as a informed sportsman i i take issue with that like i said there, there's a lot of good things that do this happen and come out of the commission but, um, you know, we're our own people. God gave us great minds that we can use. And uh, in this particular instance, we need to use them to defeat this piece of legislation. Your, your point is exceptionally well taken. If anybody is of the opinion that you can talk to our nine, our current nine Fish and Wildlife commissioners and think that they're representative of the hundreds of thousands um, they're, they're really not, they were nominated to represent us, but some of them really are not doing that job. That's, that's a excellent, excellent point. Um, I think we've, uh, done the best that we can do to help, um, uh, bring attention to this issue. Um, now, uh, honestly, I, I need to move on to what I promised everyone would be part of this podcast is, you know, I recently got contacted and the, and the guy the guy on the phone literally said, how do I become an informed sportsman? He said, it, it, I, I feel like I'm in the dark. And, and that coupled with a couple other phone calls and dozens and dozens of emails is, is why, um, really is what pushed me over the edge to start this podcast back up. So I'm, I'm always going to have an educational piece 
to the podcast. And, and today what we're going to talk about is Pittman-Robertson. Okay, so most of you have heard that the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and I'm talking about general numbers here, in generalities, approximate numbers, the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources gets 50% of their annual funding from license sales, hunting, fishing, trapping, license sales. They get another 35% of their budget um, from federal grants, and that's what we're going to talk about in a second. They get, uh, out of the last 15%, they get roughly 10 to 11% from boating licenses, and there's a small number of other uh, avenues of, of income that they get. But that 35% of federal grant money also comes out of your pocket. And tonight we're going to talk about in one of the two ways that that actually comes out of your pocket. So one of the ways that comes out of your pocket is actually a law, and it's a law that came into existence on September the 2nd, 1937, and it's commonly called the Pittman-Robertson Act. Um, what it actually is called is the... Uh, uh, Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act. So in 1937, we didn't have a whole lot of deer, elk, turkey, and bear running around the country. Um, we were in a really bad, bad spot. And so sportsmen and women all over the country, including major organizations uh, like the Boone and Crockett Club and Pope and Young and some others, got together and, and started pushing uh, to find a way to fund the restoration of wildlife. So this is actually the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act, and we commonly call it Pittman-Robertson. And so what it does is, is sportsmen were the ones that, that pleaded and lobbied and pushed our federal legislature to get this done. And what they did was they imposed, or they, we basically imposed a ex, an excise tax on ourselves, right? So there's an 11% excise tax on sporting arms and ammunition, okay? Um, there is, uh, let me explain to everybody what an excise tax is. So basically, let's say you bought a new shotgun for $500, okay? Or I'll make it easy on myself. Uh, you know, yeah, $500, okay? So you bought a sporting arm, right? 11% of that firearm was taxes that tax is paid to the department of interior the department of interior then holds that money until the states uh, put in grant applications okay and it's not just on sporting arms and ammunition there's a 10 percent tax on uh, pistols and revolvers um, there's actually, uh, also a 10% tax on archery equipment. So basically there's a 10 or 11% tax on every piece of hunting, fishing, or shooting equipment out there. That tax is paid by the manufacturer of that piece of equipment to the department of interior. You don't see it. So if it's a bow, it's 10%. Okay. So you, let's say you bought a brand new bow for $700, $70 of that bow went to the department of interior. They hold it there at the Department of Interior, and states apply by putting in grant applications, so projects. They put in a project description, and application. If it is approved, then the state can start working on it immediately. They don't have to wait until the Department of Interior 
gives their money back, and they give that money back through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So it's kind of a complicated process. But the bottom line is 35% of the department's budget comes from federal grants. But those federal grants come from the Department of Interior, where the Department of Interior collects your money in excise taxes, right? And that 11% on sporting arms and ammunition is the number one contributor right now recreational shooters who may or may not even hunt are contributing the most money through Pittman Robertson to wildlife restoration. And it goes to Department of Interior. Our Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources puts in a grant application to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service who manages those grant applications. If it's approved, the federal government pays 75% of the project, the state of Kentucky pays 25%. Generally speaking, what really happens is once the project is approved, the Department of Fish and Wildlife starts working on it and they fund it out of pocket, the whole thing. And then when we ever, whenever we get our grant money back, it kind of reimburses us for getting the project done. So that federal grant money that you keep hearing about, that came out of your pocket. Guys, is there anything I missed? Yeah, I think if, if people really want to get informed on it, there there's an excellent book that you can pick up. It's, I don't know, 30 bucks. It's old. It's called Restoring America's Wildlife, the First 50 Years of the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act. Um, very excellent book. It, it It's like from 87, but it really steps through how we got Pittman Robertson. Uh, I think it does talk about Dingle Johnson a little bit, uh, but it, it steps through projects and things like that because until you kind of see how this all works, and the work that went into it, it's hard to really appreciate uh, what this did um, for us because really we're, we've already we're living in the golden era now um, for for all the work that those guys did back in the uh, early 30s and actually at the end of the 1800s even when they started to notice we were in deep trouble. Yeah, and and this money once it's collected at the Department of Interior, our department can put in for projects that include land acquisition, wildlife habitat. introduction of wildlife to new habitat, research on wildlife, surveys and inventories of wildlife, acquisition and development of facilities for public use, hunter education programs, and check this out, construction and operation of public target ranges. So this money, once it's collected out of your pocket, whenever you buy hunting, fishing, or shooting equipment that goes to the Department of Interior and comes back to the state, is for management of your facilities, your wildlife, and your public lands. Stefan, did we miss anything? Nope, I think you're on target. Okay, all right. Well, that takes us to our last segment. And so um, I got a call from one of our very good friends, Grant from Bowling Green, and he listened to our last show. Our last show was all about how a sportsman or woman gets nominated um, and appointed and how that entire process works. How do we get someone from being a sportsman or a sportswoman under the, the, the definition of law all the way to being nominated and appointed and confirmed to the Fish and Wildlife Commission? I talked about that entire process under law last time. And our friend Grant from Bowling Green called and said, dude, that was an awesome uh, podcast. I now understand how that works. But you talked about what happens if our commission goes away. Can you explain that better? What's the difference between a state that has a commission and a Department of Natural Resources? Okay, so here's where we're at. 
our Fish and Wildlife Commission um, was created to represent us, okay, because we pay the bills. I just got done talking about the fact that 95 to 100% of the department's budget comes out of sportsmen and women's pockets. No general fund money goes into the department, okay, which makes Representative Massey's bill even more egregious. We don't – none of our money comes to – goes to – comes from touches agriculture. So anyway – so we fund the department. So in 1952, our commission was created to represent us. Previous to 1952, the state was broken down into nine law enforcement districts. So our Fish and Wildlife Commission was organized around those nine districts. That's why we have nine current commissioners. The law says that they're supposed to keep a watchful eye on the department for us. The law says that they're supposed to authorize the expenditure of funds for things we want, okay? They're supposed to represent us 100%. That is not what's going on. So that's the goodness in the commission, right? Is that our commissioners are out there doing the work that we ask them to do and keeping a very, you know, watchful and a very critical eye on what's going on in the department because the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources employees um, are, we have nothing to do with who's sitting in those positions, right? Um, generally speaking, they're some of the best human beings on the planet. But to make sure that we have our say, we have our commission to, to manage uh, our resources for us and keep a watchful eye on the commission. Boom, bottom line. If the commission goes away, uh, or, or what would a Department of Natural Resources look like? So Department of Natural Resources in other states, in some states, um, there are certain elected positions within the Department of Natural Resources, like the, you know, the, the director or the commissioner, whatever state, you know, like Wisconsin, it's elected. I'm, I'm pretty sure the person that runs it. Um, but it's a political agency. There's no direct representation of the sportsmen and women. We don't currently have a voice, but that's, that's just because of the, the people that are running it. It's supposed to be our voice. That's what's good about a commission system. The 180 degree opposite of that is the Department of Natural Resources where politicians in the cabinet hire and appoint the people that run it for us and we have no say. Now, would we have any say? Yeah, a little bit. We would still have public comment if it was the Department of Natural Resources. Every time they went to do something under the law, we're still allowed to have public comment just like any citizen would have on any border commission. But we lose the direct representation of having a commissioner. And remember what Stefan said earlier. Our nine commissioners, if they're working for us, are the nine, the nine statewide votes that represent us in some, right? So if we had nine commissioners who were representing us, who were thinking of the interests of sportsmen and women first, we would have a hell of a lot of input. And that's the way it's supposed to be. If it was a DNR... All we get is public comment on the things that they've already put into this process that are going to become regulation or law. I think I got that. Did I miss anything, guys? No, nope, you get to complain after they've already made the decision. Yes, it's a Department of Natural Resources. You get to complain after they made the decision. If it's if it's <laughs> that's awesome. That's exactly right. If it's a commission, we're supposed to have input before any decision is made. Yeah. It couldn't, there you go. Yep, couldn't be any simpler than that. Thank you for, for distilling it down to that for me, Stefan. God bless you. 
um boys that's the that's the show closing closing comments um closing thoughts things we missed i think uh you know i appreciate you having us on mike to to talk about this i i know public lands is something that's you know near and dear to me definitely something that's near and dear to stefan um i i think people need to get involved um whether it be with hunting and fishing public lands uh Unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of living in an age where you can just sit back and count on somebody else to advocate for you. Uh, luckily, we do have good organizations like BHA, um, the uh, Kentuckiana uh, chapter of Safari Club International that puts out some good stuff uh, as well on what's going on in Kentucky. You know, of course, we also have the League of Kentucky Sportsmen that are supposed to be a, a watchdog on what's going on, but. Uh, look to them for guidance uh, sometimes, but do your own research. And I have a full-time job that I do and family commitments, a young family. So it's difficult. I understand to stay up on this stuff, but it can't be overstated that if you just expect that somebody else is going to call a legislator and you're not going to have to, or they're going to send an email and you're not going to have to, and these things are just going to work out, uh, you're probably mistaken and, and likely are mistaken. It takes everybody advocating on what we need and uh, what we need to keep because there's a very real possibility that we could lose um, we could lose the things that we really cherish, uh, the, the places and the resources that really build the, the memories and our hunting heritage and traditions that not only we enjoy, but we share with family and friends and, and that um, sustains us, right? We're coming out of COVID where you can't well, actually, lately with the snow in the in the Midwest, you probably can't find meat on the shelves either. But if you're fortunate to be a hunter or a fisher, you probably have a deep freezer with some of that meat in there. So um, don't don't take it lightly. You know, don't take a politician's word. I would hope you not take a politician's word at uh, at face value without doing research. But uh, dive in, get involved. It doesn't take as much time as you think when you uh, find good organizations to to follow. It makes it a little easier to point you in the right direction. And I appreciate you having us on, Mike. That was exceptionally well said, and I have no way to amplify that. I am thankful that you are on the team. Uh, God bless you. Stefan? Oh, I would just uh, have to echo uh, Josh's point that, you know, thank you for having us on, allowing us to present our uh, view on 395 as well as some other issues. And, uh, Hope that everybody out there, if you're not a member of these organizations, consider supporting them. Of course, I'm going to ask you to join uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, but those organizations can help keep you informed whenever they go in and say they have a large number of members that has an influence because never, ever forget the number one job of every politician is to get reelected. And when those phones ring, those emails start showing up, especially in the election year, listen. And they know that every one call represents nine or ten more people who didn't. So the more people we can get to call, that multiplies our power and impact. That, that's outstanding. I mean, you guys just closed the show for me. I, I, have, I have nothing else to say. I, I, God bless you. Um, 100% what you just said. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this uh, – podcast is part of the slow hunt llc uh media network we are a very modest media network 
Um, our goal is to inform and help uh, sportsmen and women. Um, uh, all the print media that we have out there is to help. Uh, even the book that I wrote uh, is designed to help people uh, hunt big game and, and to go on adventures. And all the profits for that book last year were donated to Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry. So this podcast doesn't advertise anything. Uh, we don't sell coffee mugs or beer koozies. Uh, we put our money where our mouth is. This is important. This is for our heritage. This is for our future. Um, I couldn't be prouder than to be in this fight with the people that I'm in the fight with. And uh, I really believe um, wholeheartedly in the things that we said tonight. And, you know, if there's anything uh, that you want to f learn more about, um, you can email me at ranger, R-A-N-G-E-R, at theslowhunt.com, and uh, I will answer your questions uh, as best I can. Uh, if you decide to take me to task, please do. Um, I can only learn, uh, learn more and get better. But the bottom line is the things we talked to tonight require action. And one of the ways you can take action is uh, you can go to uh, Kentucky excuse me, you can go to backcountryhuntersandanglers.org uh, and then click chapters and then Kentucky and then issues. And then when you see issues, you can click defeat House Bill 395. And uh, you we have two and a half pages of research there that you can read really quick. It won't take you five minutes. And then if you decide to support our viewpoints, if you agree with us and you, you want this bill defeated, uh, you can fill out the action alert at the bottom. Also on that uh, issues tab, we ask people to fill out a please support uh, Brian Mackey uh, for commissioner uh, in the 4th District. And um, and to be honest, the reason we're doing that is he's a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. It's our organization, and, and, and because he's a member, we would like to see our member on the commission. Uh, we would love to support Jerry Farrell, too. We've come out 100% uh, uh, behind him and we'll continue to beat that drum so uh thank you guys for listening uh this has been our, our pleasure uh to try to inform you tonight of what's going on and then also to do a little educational piece on Pittman robertson and uh um, please uh do everything you can to make sure that we solidify our hunting fishing trapping and public lands heritage until we speak again thank you